This episode of Ministry Monday is sponsored by Simply Liturgical Music. Simply Liturgical Music is the liturgical music platform that is reimagining the industry. Browse, purchase, and download brand new affordable music in minutes. Print or download as much as needed with lifetime access to all purchases. Whether it's psalms, hymns, mass settings, or other ritual music, SLM has music composed by a growing network of talented composers from all over the world. Ministry Monday listeners can receive $10 off Advent or Christmas music when using code YEARC2021. Again, that's YEARC2021. Explore our digital catalog at slmusic.org. Simply liturgical music, reimagining the industry. From NPM, the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, this is episode 170 of Ministry Monday. Ministry Monday is a weekly podcast about music, ministry, and liturgy, produced by the National Association of Pastoral Musicians, or NPM. What is NPM? NPM is a national association that fosters the art of musical liturgy. The members of NPM serve the Catholic Church in the United States as musicians, clergy, liturgists, and other leaders of prayer. For more information, go to npm.org forward slash join. Have a question? Email us anytime at ministrymonday at npm.org. Hello, and welcome to Ministry Monday. I am your host, Amanda Bruce. If you're new to the podcast, hi, hello. We are so glad that you're tuning in with us today. Each week, Ministry Monday offers a podcast episode for the church music minister on topics that seek to help you learn, grow, challenge, and inspire. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to our podcast wherever you listen to podcasts each week. And hey, thanks for joining us. We hear from so many of you in the NPM National Office about the things that you need most in your ministry. Now, one of the most popular requests we receive involves the relationship between a pastoral musician, a clergy member, and the music itself. So, for example, we get questions such as, how do I encourage my priest to sing during the Mass? Or, what can I do to foster the relationship between pastoral music and my priest or deacon? Starting this week, we are introducing a multi-episode series focusing on this exact topic. For the next several weeks, Ministry Monday is offering a series on the singing priest, how to encourage singing with clergy, providing resources for clergy to develop confidence in their singing for things like the Exultet at Easter Vigil, and of course, developing the relationship between us as pastoral musicians and the clergy that lead and guide us all. We're starting the Singing Priest series with an episode from the Ministry Monday archives. It was the most popular episode of 2018 here on the podcast, and it is a great place to start. This episode was produced and recorded by former Ministry Monday host Matt Reichert. 
I am pleased to bring you The Singing Priest featuring Ricky Manalo. Enjoy. Pastoral musicians spend a great deal of effort trying to get people to sing. Our work is animated by the desire to assist the full, active, and conscious participation of every person in our assembly. We often select music that is familiar. We spend a great deal of time introducing new music with pedagogic strategies that are measured, reasonable, and pastoral. We put hymns in comfortable keys, we train instrumentalists to support congregational singing, and we form our cantors to be song leaders, not soloists. For the most part, I'm willing to bet we do a pretty good job of promoting and facilitating the sung prayer of those gathered in the pews. But there's another voice that may need a bit more coaxing and a more delicate pastoral approach. Whose voice is it? Your pastor. It can be difficult to get your pastor or deacon or bishop to sing. Yet singing is vital to our liturgy, especially for the role of the presider. The solutions can be tricky because the cause of the hesitancy or refusal on the part of your pastor can be varied and complex. To peel back these layers and to discuss some strategies, we turn to Father Ricky Manalo. We'll hear one of Father Ricky's compositions in today's ministry moment. As always, you can find more information about today's show, our guest, and the other resources in the show notes for this episode on our website, ministrymonday.org. While you're there, make sure to check out the link to the most recent Open Your Hymnal podcast episode, which features an interview with Father Ricky about his song, Many and Great. We begin with Father Ricky Manalo. An author, composer, and priest, Father Ricky literally wrote the book on the singing priest, titled Chanting on Our Behalf, a Pastoral Methodology for Presidential Chanting and Musical Leadership. In our conversation today, Father Ricky explores the cultural, liturgical, and formational context for current practice, and offers practical advice and suggestions for helping your pastor, deacon, or bishop. Father Ricky joined me from San Francisco, California. Father Ricky, I know that the third edition of the Roman Missal places a renewed emphasis on chanting and I'm or, or singing on behalf of the priest or the deacon. And I'm wondering if here at the start of our conversation, you could say a little more about that. What what is involved in that renewed emphasis or how does the third edition of the Missal differ from previous editions when it comes to the singing priest? Well, in some ways, it, con- it continues what was um what had always been the case as far as official documents emphasizing the importance of um of music and the preeminence of music you know or sung liturgy you know during our eucharistic celebrations what you find though are uh, some uh, somehow more practical and more um more emphasis on um maybe you can say 
practical suggestions, for example, of um, uh, singing, for example, after the gospel reading, how that could simply be proclaimed, uh, the word of the Lord, different acclamations like that, different musical settings and uh, arrangements of that. But then you also have um, these uh, other, uh, I think we got, we, we, we got better with our theology of what might be more important to sing. For example, a, a renewed, um, renewed interest in, in emphasizing the importance of really chanting or singing the responsorial psalm. For example, so you have you have things like that, but but in some ways it all stems back to Vatican II's you know in the Constitution and the sacred liturgies call for um, call for sung liturgy. Um, different settings, um, musical settings came out as well, and in some ways I I found them um, I found them easier you know at the musical level, but and this is the flip side of all of this. Uh, many of the priests I know, uh, whom I have uh, I've taught, have said that the text um, doesn't necessarily make the music easier to sing. You sure, know, so sure. in other words, you, you have this renewed interest in, <laughs> in music, but for some people, the um, the actual English translation itself um, kind of makes it difficult for them to to sing. Right. Know? So, so is it is it fair to say then, or accurate to say that some of the evidence of this renewed emphasis is just based upon the the inclusion of all of this variety of options for singing and these new these these new pieces of music that are in the missal? I mean, is that sort of the the biggest evidentiary, you know, um, yeah. claim here? That's made? okay. I, I would I would say that very much. Sure. Okay. So, so I know that you you've spoken about this topic, the singing priest, before, and certainly, I mean, it it helps in here in authority because you, in fact, are a singing priest, right? Um, yeah, and I'm I'm exactly. sure that in in each of these sessions, you know, there's a variety of questions that I I could imagine are are typical questions that that you get. So, so let me let me start with one of those. Um, what do you say when I'm sure inevitably a music director or a liturgist comes up to you or in one of your workshops says, I would really like it if the pastor or the deacon in my parish sang more, but they can't carry a tune in a bucket. <laughs> what, do mm. you, what do you do in situations <laughs> where there are people who quote unquote can't sing and we're, we're trying yeah. to again chant these, these responses, that sort of thing? Well, I say two things. I mean, first of all, if they truly cannot sing, and I want to address that issue after this comment, um, then obviously they shouldn't, um, because you know, because it might actually do more harm <laughs> to the right, actual right, liturgical right. celebration. And I think it was, um, I think it was Music of the Sacrum in the nineteen sixty seven instruction in liturgical music that simply said, you know, if you, I don't, in these words, if a if a um, if a priest really cannot sing, then he ought not to, you know. Per se, because again, that might do more distraction to the um, uh, to the whole uh, sense of celebration. At the same time, I want to challenge that as well, uh, because uh, I, I I truly believe that most priests and/or deacons or bishops actually could sing, um, and that few few people are actually tone deaf, what I would call tone deaf. Mm -hmm. The reason why they might not be able to sing might be more culturally explained than um, than I would say physio physiological or physical. 
you know, a lot of times, for example, my um, those stories come from when I actually listen to the voices of priests who claim they cannot sing, but I actually detect that they're actually on tune or in mm. tune. They're, they're, you know, the, the pitch is okay, but if they actually had a little bit more confidence, number one, and number two, more actual training, you know, more skills, um, they, they learn their actual skills, then they actually would be able to sing and chant, right. you know. But what overshadows all of this is basically our, our North American uh, mainstream cultural um, approach to singing in public. Right. You know, that, that, that really is, at the, in my estimation, is at the heart of this, per se. Yeah, and, and I suppose because, it's um, no surprise yeah. that, you know, as we've seen um, an evaporation of a, you know, congregational song culture over the last, you know, several decades as there's the rise of, you know, the American Idol or the voice, you know, where we have fewer people yes. who want to sing. I mean, we go to, we don't, we don't even sing the national anthem at the at baseball games anymore. We listen to it, right? I'm, I'm sure as we lament that for ourselves and for choir mm-hmm. membership and cantors and all that, it, it would follow that, of course, then that would be the same type of cultural impact that would happen when it comes to, to priests or deacons or anybody who's, who's chanting any part of the liturgy. That's true, but that, and, and that's always been there. Even before American Idol and Whitney Houston singing the Star Spangled Banner, <laughs> you had opera singers. We had Placido Domingos. You had Caruso's. So our, our Western approach to, uh, I guess, European classical music and that tradition, um, in, in that tradition, we've always prized the soloist, yeah. you know, and the, um, and the performer, per se. While in other cultural groups, um, Singing in public is more of a communal, collectivist mindset. So the idea of sticking out is not really an issue, or nor is it uh, necessarily praised as much as it might be in our culture. Yeah. So that's obviously that obviously adds another layer of anxiety. Right. I mean, right. we say in our culture that um, public speaking is the number one fear. I mean, I would argue public singing alone is even more scary. Sure. Than public speaking, per se. Now, when you look at other cultures um, where they have more of a collectivist mindset and singing might be more embedded in their everyday life, from their homes to, uh, to various other um, contexts, you know, the African-American tradition, for example, or even the Vietnamese tradition in their Eucharistic celebrations, you have the, the, uh, a lot of the majority of priests, at least from what I've witnessed, chant and sing, per se. But, you know, you scratch the surface, of course, underneath um, that statement I just made, and you realize, well, we, we have, you know, in our own North American culture, we might have the singing of happy birthday to you. Where in, in that case, everybody sings, even people who claim they do not sing, even people who claim to be tone deaf will still sing and probably even be in pitch when they join with the rest right. <laughs> everyone else, everyone else singing. You know, and it's it's a miraculous ritual moment to me because um, you you have this time when, you know, this cake comes out, and all of a sudden, you might have actually four different um, keys that people <laughs> come in and right, and within the first by the end of the first phrase of Happy Birthday to You, miraculously without any instruments, we're actually in the same key together. And then people who don't claim, people who don't like to sing, will still sing because if they don't, they'll really stick out. Right. Um, and so you really have maybe a few people who are actually tone deaf during those moments. Further, by the end of Happy Birthday to You, 
you have four part harmony, three part harmony. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, right. so we have it. We have it. The only thing is, it's not as numerous, or it's not as a. Well, maybe it is, but uh, this is something. I mean, we have that as an example. Let's say that if we could apply that cultural mindset to uh, to teaching seminarians and priests and bishops how to sing, then it wouldn't really be that much of a factor. Sure. No, no, I mean and, and I'm I'm appreciative of, of um the the comments especially that this this is not something that is a uh, a recent cultural phenomenon, certainly. I mean as you talk about sort of the, the Western musical culture and, you know, emphasis on soloists and everything. So so let me ask you this this question about the singing priest, how do we get priests to sing, etc. Is do you see the trend getting better getting worse are we sort of have we always been in this boat um or is this something that really is um sort of uh, something that's come about in the last couple of decades or is this something that we've always had we're just giving different attention to it now yeah i'm not an expert of, of what happened before um as far as uh, you know the uh, the statics of uh, how many priests sang i haven't seen any um data on that um, are we getting better? You know, I've never been asked this since I wrote the first uh, version, first uh, edition of my book, and I'm not quite sure we are. Sure, <laughs> I sure. Have to say, I have to say, I mean, and that's probably be the last 20 years. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure. You see more um, priests um, being more comfortable in singing. There might be. I mean, I. I mean, I do. It's not that I. It's not that there. Uh, I don't see anyone at all. But I just don't know whether it's it's increased or not. Right. Um, and I don't know whether it's due to the training that goes on in, in the seminaries, or again this this continuous um, larger social context, you know, in, in our right. North American culture when it comes to singing. I don't think that's changed. Right. And in some ways, unless that begins to change as well, then I, I'm not quite sure it, it will. It would increase. Right. The other the other option is, um, I mean, the other reason is it might be that we just haven't developed better um, formation tools, you know, see, uh, as to as to how we train priests and um, seminarians how to be more comfortable in their singing. Yeah. Well, speaking of those, uh, I, wa- I want to oh, hope that ahead. it is better. Yeah. No. I just want to say I want to hope that it is getting better. And, you know, it might. I guess I haven't seen any data. Right, right, right. Well, well, speaking of those formation tools, I mean, knowing that, okay, if I'm if I'm a music director who's listening and I'm thinking about, all right, well, my pastor really would like to sing things but is hesitant because he's not confident or maybe does have yeah. some pitch issues or whatever. I mean, I, in theory, if I'm if I myself am well-formed or spend a little time investigating, I, I could maybe work with him a little bit, right? Um, what what types of, of tools or interventions or formational um, sort of programs have you seen that that really seem to work? I mean, sort of anecdotally, just as people can kind of wrap their yeah. minds around, what would this look like? Well, uh, first thing I, I would recommend is to um, just don't don't try to imagine a, a grand scheme or this liturgy where all of a sudden the, you imagine your pastor or priest singing everything, you know, as if it's a whole opera. Start small, you know, start um, with little steps. Um, number one, it might just be after the gospel. It might just be, it might just be, you know, the Lord be with you, and that's it. <laughs> you know, and then sure. work your way up from there. The other thing is, 
begin to plan according to the um, liturgical year. You might start planning now, for example, to sing something for Triduum. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that might be the only achievement, you know, you, you get to this uh, this year or next year. And then go after that. You know, after that, maybe go, into, uh, maybe go to the Midnight Mass at Christmas. So just, you know, see that's a pro- process and a prog- uh, progressing towards better, more c- confident uh, singers. And then the other aspect is, is um, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be fancy. Um, it could just be a simple chant. It could be a two-tone. Mm-hmm. It could even be a one-tone. <laughs> you know, sure. if, if, if it's a short enough acclamation, uh, let's say. Uh, I mean, you, you could actually imagine a whole gospel reading being chanted just in one tone. Right. But then you add to that. You know, um, one of the things I do in my book is I, I suggest the simple minor third. And that and actually comes from, I, I was inspired uh, to write this book, Chanting on Our Behalf, from, um, from a set of lectures that um, uh, Leonard Bernstein uh, did. He presented in, in Harvard University back in 1973. It was called The Unanswered Question. Hmm. And in that, he talks about the minor third, you know, how uh, he, he goes through uh, the whole series of overtones in Western music. And he says how one of the most natural intervals we could ever sing is this minor third. And he goes, you know, if you think about it, so many children actually sing that instinctively. Da, 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 na, 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 na. Yeah, right. right. And he actually, he, actually gives, um, he actually gives a musicological uh, reason behind that based on the overtone series, which I won't get into now. But he says you could find that chant throughout the world. You know, um, and and that's what I tell presiders. You know, those that that, that simple interview of a minor third could be your frame, your musical frame for chanting any text, and then you kind of build from there. And then what my book does, I, I go, you know, I add a note, another note, you know, with each chapter, to be more elaborate. But even if a if a priest simply has those two tones, he already is set to chant anything in the Eucharistic prayer, mm. and at the moment. Of ritual, um, of the ritual moment when they're when he is thinking about those two chants, just simply think of the childish chant mm-hmm. that will come to his head. So that's one practical advice. Yeah, no, I know that's great. Yeah. Well, so so now, I mean, I asked the question, which again, I assume you get a lot, which is, what do I do if my pastor can't sing? Right. So now, let me ask maybe the more delicate question, which is, what do I do if I'm a music director and my pastor won't sing? <laughs> what do I do if my pastor refuses well, to sing? Well, if you won't, for whatever yeah. Reason? I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what the specific context is, but obviously there might be a particular reason there. Obviously, you can't force you know anyone to sing ultimately. Right. So, um, but there might you know. It, I, I I would say. I mean, the only advice is it's not so much. That's not the issue of singing. It might be something more there, and I I, I would hope they strike up a. Uh, a, a, a better communication dialogue to find out what might be the reason there, you know. Um, but that that's based more on, uh, you know, their relationship. Hopefully, if it's built on trust or whatever, to find out to unearth what that might be. Right. Um, ultimately, if he won't sing, then he won't sing. Yeah. We well, can't and, force anyone. And I would imagine too. I mean, and the this topic of helping support these, you know, sung presidential prayers or or the the role of the singing priests is obviously important from a liturgical standpoint. And you mentioned, you know, again, what, what came out of Vatican II and the documents, etc. I think one of the, maybe one of the other underlying 
um, considerations, and I don't know if you've found this, again, both coming out of your book and the different workshops that you give on this, is that this issue also helps lay bare some of those relational issues that do exist between mm. music director and pastor. I mean, this this is a, like you said, public speaking, public singing, it's an exercise in vulnerability, right? There, There's, yeah, this, yeah. there's this requirement of, of trust and formation, but also there has to be this openness on both sides, both pastor and music mm-hmm. director, to, to help facilitate and support one another, to be vulnerable, to let each other help form each other. And so so I, I would imagine that even beyond the liturgical considerations, this is an yeah. interesting topic because it gets to that human interrelationship dimension, too. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you could actually build upon that, you know. Um, and again, just think small, you know. And then, I mean, if it's an ongoing trusting relationship or formation, you know, then then, then somehow, um, then, then ultimately you, you can come to this time when, you know, p- particular feast days or solemnities or liturgical, whole liturgical seasons could be truly celebratory, you know, truly, uh, you know, truly point to uh, what the celebrations are about. That's what we're missing, it seems, in our North American liturgical pra- praxis, if you think about it. I mean, it's clear from the documents, like the general instruction, that the Eucharistic prayer, for example, um, it says it is the center and summit of the entire celebration. I think that's number 78. Um, so here we have the most important prayer on Sunday, during Sunday Mass. And yet, you, you couple that with this other aspect coming from the Constitution, the Sacred Liturgy, that, you know, that, that talks about the preeminence of music. You know, to the extent that it's connected to text and the ritual action and all of that, and we and and the majority of our uh, Sunday celebrations actually experience this disjuncture between what is supposed to be the center and the summit, and yet most most of our priests speak it, mm-hmm. even though it's supposed to be the center and summit. You know, so what we do, we wind up singing more of the four songs, right? Right. Which I'm not putting down, but they're not the they're not the center and summit. You know, now now the re, why is this going on? Well, because you know for the reasons we talked about already, either our seminarians, priests, bishops are not being trained, or you know the larger cultural, social cultural fear of singing. So you see this, you know, you see this very clear <laughs> disjuncture right. between. And I think sometimes priests need to see that as you know themselves that they realize, hey, wait a minute, this is not making any sense. Why are we speaking the most important prayer outside of the acclamations that the assembly sings? Thank God. Right. <laughs> right, right, right. So it carries it, right? Um, so I think sometimes, and, and that might be another approach to, to look, you know, when we, when we, when we uh, approach priests, seminarians, bishops, deacons to become more um, open, because sometimes they like to listen to official documents. <laughs> yeah, like no, it. right, of course. You know? No, of course. Well, and I think I think you know that that's that's a great tactic to take. Again, you know, as you as you rightly pointed out, if if you're somebody who works in a parish and your pastor or deacon, you know, just flat out refuses to sing, of course there might be other considerations, and you have to you know approach that tactfully, you know, for for whatever that reason might be. But if it's a matter of just simply chooses not to, I think certainly having um, a a conversation about exactly what you just described. This is the mm-hmm. source, and this is the 
most important moment and how do we honor it and give it pride of place and we can do that by having you sing this simple one tone or two tone yeah. chant or i mean i think that 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 becomes awfully persuasive in a different way now it's not going to necessarily result in so. things you know but, yeah. but it would be at least a, a way to crack the door open but we I, again I, I think the number one is just downplaying the fear of it you know, uh, right, by right. not downplaying. I mean, it's a real fear, but rather realize, you know, uh, telling them it's, you know, let's just, let's just begin step by step. Can you maybe at the end, you know, can you, or maybe uh, just simply do the Lord be with you with, you know, with that, with this, with those same simple two tones. If you, if you get a priest to do that by one year who doesn't sing at all by one year, fine. Then work work for the following year. <laughs> you right. know, it doesn't have to be. You don't have to sound like Luciana Pavarotti. You don't have to sound like Whitney Houston, or any American Idol winner. Right. You know, this is a context, and you know that's so. It's it's all it's very if you think about it, very psychological, isn't it? Sure, of course. And of course. Uh, so that's what I think. That's the key, and and that's really what I was saying before. You know, uh, you can't really do that unless there's some level of a, of a trusting relationship there. Right. And noting your your observation, this could be the beginning. You know, this could be yeah. a way of you know of nurturing that relationship. Well, know? and I think and I think too. You know, one of the one of the other underlying issues here is that for for us as musicians or music directors to take a step back, and you know, mm-hmm. sometimes of course we we um, are, are we don't see some of the the other things that are happening. You know, because we're we're too close to it or in the middle of it. And I think if we realize that for the most part. Um, mm. The people who, with whom we work in our music ministry, are self-selective, mm-hmm. right? I mean, we get the yeah. people who come and want to be in our choir because, presumably, they can sing at least well enough to be within the group, right? Or they're interested enough. Um, That's and right. we we don't get to be self-selective when it comes to pastors, of course. So so we have to. We also no. have to. We have to. We have to respond to that differently from a musical standpoint. Where with yes, our choir, yeah. we might introduce new music here or there. I mean, we we also have. To yeah. Be careful that if we are able to get our pastor to sing something mm-hmm. simple, that two months later we're not throwing in the new, the, the different, a different chanted melody from this new mass setting, and we expect him to do it. Now, I mean, we we have to again right. realize the context and relationship and how it's different than what we might be used to in our own ministry. Yeah, and it might be. A, here's another tactic, or perhaps approach might be a better word, or less less threatening word, <laughs> but. <laughs> but um, but you know, uh, you might want to, for example, um, simply train the lectors to sing at the end of the readings, particularly during the important high seasons, liturgical seasons like maybe Advent, Christmas, Lent, and Easter. The um, the chant at the end of the reading, teach them, you know, uh, the sure. word of the Lord using the childish chant. You know, they do this every week, every Sunday at uh, St. James Cathedral in Seattle, one of the best liturgies in my book of, um, in the United States, where every lay lector simply chants that. You get them to do it, and then you go to the priest and pastor and say, well, you know, now that they're, we've been doing that for a year or two, do you think you might be able to do that right. for the gospel? In other words, so, so it's a way of, they, you know, the, the, um, the priest sees, ah, oh, if a lay person could do this, and not, not a trained choir right. member who goes through weekly rehearsals, but if they could simply do a two-tone childish chant, the word of the Lord, which is the actual <laughs> interval in the in the um, in the lector, le, uh, in the uh, lectionary, right? 
that simple childish chant of my, then why don't I do it? So you have to kind of map out a a progress, you know, year to year. No, I think, I think that's really, I think that's really clever. And, and I I mean, I like it from, from a liturgical perspective because I I do Mm -hmm. think that's important, but also again, from the, psychological perspective from the let's re, let's get out of our, our our music silo here for a second again if we're asking somebody to be the only soloist singer who is you know the only right. non-musician <laughs> to be a soloist singer yeah. that that also provides an opportunity for for there to be more presumably non-musicians or perhaps um but but also as a message to the congregation about what that's right uh, how it's okay to sing and how we can now sing as a group because these people are singing mm-hmm. i mean i think that's i think it's a really important yeah. message and and by extension let's take that let's take that thought even further what you know how is your cantor modeling musical leadership and how does how do the priests and seminarians right. see that is your cantor trying to be Luciano or Rene Fleming? Right. What does that do to the priest? Yeah. You know, do they have to be in all that way? I, I, I'm not saying there might be moments not, that might not be appropriate, but I'm simply saying, how are they modeling musical leadership? Right. And how is that adding on? So my point is, you know, you, you take this in other cultural contexts, and musical leadership is um is less evaluative, right? Less hierarchical, less... Right. Um, what I would call sort of like a platonic (laughs) degrees of perfection that we kind of inherited for better and for worse in our own musical Western tradition. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so, so that's it. So, you know, this, this a more circumspection, circumspective approach to how we might bring in um, or sort of qualm the fears of public singing for presiders by looking at all these other areas, you know? Right. Well, well, thank you very much, Father Ricky, for this conversation, because I think it, it's helpful for us to look at this topic, you know, the singing priest, and to realize that there's there are a lot of other things going on here, you know, both culturally and, and also psychologically, musically, as we've talked about, and it's a more complex issue than perhaps some people feel that it is, and, and therefore requires um, a in some cases, a, a more nuanced or sensitive approach, but also I, I'm 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 appreciative of the the real practical, simple advice um, that you've given that help us not only respond to those complexities, but but most importantly, really give us a, a fighting chance of being able to make some some progress here in a way that that honors individual relationship, but also certainly helps in service to the liturgy. So I'm I'm grateful for your time today. Well, you're welcome, and thank you for the opportunity to share my thoughts. Father Ricky Manalo, CSP, PhD, is a Paulist priest and a liturgical composer, currently teaching at Santa Clara University. He also serves as the main facilitator of the Cultural Orientation Program for International Ministers of Loyola Marymount University. He studied composition and piano at the Manhattan School of Music, theology at the Washington Theological Union, and liturgy, culture, and sociology at the Graduate Theological Union at Berkeley, California. 
Father Ricky is known for pioneering and popularizing Asian Catholic liturgical music in the United States, and his music has been sung during papal masses for John Paul II, Benedict XVI, and Francis. In 2007, his collaborative hymn, That All May Be One in Christ, won the National Hymn Competition of the National Association of Pastoral Musicians. In 2018, he was named the NPM Pastoral Musician of the Year. Currently, Father Ricky is the theological consultor for a steering committee of the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops, which is creating a national pastoral plan for U.S. Asian Pacific Catholics. He remains an advisor to the U.S. Bishops' Committee on Cultural Diversity in the Church and the Committee on Divine Worship. And now, it's time for this week's Ministry Moment. In honor of today's Feast of the Transfiguration, we are pleased to bring you a special musical ministry moment. Please enjoy a composition titled Transfiguration, composed by our guest, Father Ricky Manala. Jesus on the mountain peak Stands alone in glory blazing Let us, if we dare, to speak, join the saints and angels praising. Alleluia, Alleluia, Alleluia. Let us, if we dare to Join the saints and angels praise. 
The song Transfiguration is published by OCP. The recording you heard was produced by OCP on the album On This Day. If you have questions about the topics you heard about today, let us help. Check out NPM's Digital Professional Development Resources and the Digital Publications Archive. Here you'll find dozens of programs and articles from the best teachers, clinicians, and musicians. You'll learn about music skills, liturgy, leadership, and more. If you are trying to find accessible information to help build your professional knowledge or the knowledge of your liturgical and music ministers, check them out. You can find it all at npm.org. As this podcast is meant to serve our members, we look forward to hearing your suggestions of topics for future episodes. You can email us at ministrymonday at npm.org. Don't forget to subscribe so you'll never miss an episode and follow NPM on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. We'd like to extend special thanks to Father Ricky Manalo for joining us. The recordings you heard of Eat This Bread and Give Us Peace were produced by GIA Publications. Today's episode was produced by me, Matt Reichert. Thanks for listening. Have a blessed week, and we'll see you here again next Monday.